Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a bilingual neurolinguistic programming and cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling using the EFT method, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life, business, and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one sessions in both French or English, and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our website can be found at lifecoach.amzalag.com. Today, I'm very excited to have for our ninth episode of season 18, a very special guest and board-certified neurophysiologist and founder of Neuroflex, Toby Pazman. And just like every of my past episodes, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Toby, the floor is yours. Dr. Dan, I appreciate you having me on. So yeah, my background is basically in neurophysiology research. So I've become board certified both in a technology called brain mapping, which is a type of brain scan that allows us to measure and assess someone's brainwave activity, um, as well as neurofeedback, which is a major technology that actually works to correct and improve people's brainwaves to improve mental health issues, as well as peak performance um, which is what I utilize it for mostly with my uh, with my current company, Neuroflex, which really you know serves to bring these modalities that have traditionally been hidden away in research labs or small clinics and really bring them to the mainstream biohacking wellness, um, you know mainstream um, communities so that the masses can really improve their mental health through the use of applying what we know in the neuroscience research but actually applying it to their real lives. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Toby, for being here today. Um, it's, you know, so, what, first of all, I'd like to know, how does the brain mapping, when you're talking about this is kind of a hidden modality, why don't they make it public? Why don't they put it available to the general population? Is it because it's going to affect the biopharma company with medication that treats mental illness? What is the purpose to hide it? It's a great question. Um you know, I think just like, you know, with a lot of things in, in West, Western medicine, you know, they're not really focused on getting to the very root cause of people's issues. You know, it's kind of just saying your symptoms that puts you into a certain diagnostic criteria, which then allows them to prescribe a you know specific, usually psychiatric medication to be able to treat that. So brain mapping is, you know, kind of breaking that mold in the sense of being able to actually image the brain, which is something that psychiatrists or other mental health professionals really have not done. You know, there's a famous psychiatrist and neuroscientist, Dr. Daniel Amen, who's done a lot of pioneering work in the field of neuroimaging. And he says how psychiatry is the only medical profession that actually doesn't examine the organ in which they're treating. So how bizarre is it that, you know, the psychiatrist who is able to, or claiming to be able to, treat someone's mental health issues, but they're not actually taking a look at what's going on in the brain that's generating the issues in the first place. You know, if you were to have an issue with your heart and you just went to the cardiologist and told them what was going on, they didn't do any sort of EKG or any sort of tests. And they just said, all right, well, sounds like, you know, you probably had a heart attack. Let's, let's put you on this medication. You know, you'd probably be out outraged and probably find a, a different cardiologist to see yet that's how psychiatry operates. And it's the same way that it's operated for the past, 
you know, century. Um, you know, really, when we look back a hundred years ago, the model of saying your symptoms, being diagnosed and then prescribed uh, a treatment is very, very old fashioned. It's really interesting how a lot of, you know, any look at pretty much any other medical profession has really progressed and evolved so much. If we look at the past century, you know, what's available, but psychiatry or mainstream Western medicine, psychiatry has really remained pretty stagnant. So as far as to answer your question, why, why is that? Why have they not adopted some of these newer tech? Well, I don't want to say newer because brain mapping has been around really since the 1960s, 1970s, the original technology, the EEG was first recorded back in the 1930s. So this is definitely nothing new, but I think the reason that it's kind of remained hidden is it just breaks the mold of it's not, you know, it doesn't kind of align with the traditional Western medical system of the way that mental health issues are treated. And I think that, you know, being able to image the brain, a lot of people that are in the field of brain mapping are also working with neurofeedback, which is a non-invasive way to actually train and improve the electrical activity of the brain, which oftentimes does really get to the root of people's mental health, or really, I like to think of them as, as brain health issues, because a lot of people are walking around today, you know, dealing with anxiety, with depression, with, you know, PTSD, and there are strong biological roots with all of these different disorders. We know that uh, there was a, a book that came out last year, um, basically talking about how there's a link between all of these different psychiatric and neurological disorders. It's called brain energy. So basically talking about how there's metabolic issues within the brain that's generating all of the symptoms that we know of and classify as anxiety and depression you know, all of these things that people spend years talking to a therapist trying to resolve when in reality, there's a strong biological root that if you never get, you know, if you never solve why, um, you know, your brain is causing you to feel depressed or to feel anxious all the time, then it's going to be really hard to, to talk your way there. Mm -hmm. So that's really what I'm aiming to do is to really get these technologies to more people so that people can first have an awareness and an understanding of, you know, why they might be feeling the way that they are, why they experience the world in the way that they do, so that they can then be empowered to utilize non-invasive, safe technologies um, to really be able to improve their situation. Now, do, do you feel that the uh, if we look at the proactive approach and the reactive approach, do you think that brain mapping brain mapping is proactive and MRI, CAT scan is reactive? Because if, let's say, we try to figure out an issue with the brain, they're going to do an MRI, they're going to do a CAT scan, whatever it is. But then the brain mapping is just something that helps people not get sick or having a mental illness. What's the differentiation between both? It's a great, that's a great distinction there. And I think, you know, in the future, it definitely could be used as more of a tool uh, that that is proactive. I think most people don't really start taking a look at their brain health or mental performance until things go really wrong. Right. You know, it, it's unlike how we think of exercise, right? Where it's like, we could be perfectly healthy and still go to the gym and want to get stronger or cut more fat, you know, get, get better physiques. But when it comes to dealing with the brain, most people don't really start to take a look at that until something goes severely wrong until they get a concussion until they, you know, have really severe anxiety or depression. 
So the way that it's used right now, I think is still in a reactive way, but the difference between something like brain mapping versus CAT scans or MRIs is that a CAT scan or MRI is simply measuring the structure of the brain. You know, when there's a tumor or, you know, a brain bleed from a severe traumatic brain injury, that's something that a CAT scan or MRI is going to be able to pick up. What it's not going to be able to pick up is the, is these really fine details of dysregulated electrical activity that we're able to see with a brain map. Um, And so because of that, in the future, I think it can be utilized as a tool where people could get brain mapped. I think there are, you know, a handful of people, uh, a handful of the population right now that does utilize brain mapping and neurofeedback simply for the peak performance aspect, where they might not even have any severe mental health or brain performance issue going on, but they're simply looking to get to the next level of whatever they're doing. So they can use utilize brain mapping as a tool to be able to you know, take, take a look at their brain and make sure that they're headed in the right direction. And I think a lot of people, you know, in their fifties and their sixties who are aging, you know, are commonly concerned with, you know, memory issues or just feeling like they're not mentally as clear as they once were and are really worried about Alzheimer's, dementia, you know, and other forms of neurodegeneration. So I think brain mapping is never, never really, you know, telling someone that they have some kind of, you know, impossible to treat issue and they're just going to, you know, it, it, it very much is something that empowers people, however their brain looks, because we can actually show. Are you there to me? I think there was a disconnect. Oh, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You got like disconnected for a second. Oh, I was just, yes, I was just saying that. So regardless of what we see with a brain map, you know, regardless of the results that we see is always empowering to someone because there's always, uh, there's always that information or data that you can leverage to improve your brain, no matter where you're at. Um, There's never, you know, a diagnosis that's given where, oh, you just, your, your brain map looks so bad. There's nothing we can do. There's always things that we can do. Um, so I think in that regard, it does give, you know, it really empowers people with the information that if they choose to do something with that and choose to really train their brain through the use of neurofeedback or, you know, even just brain healthy interventions like good nutrition, uh, proper sleep, exercising, all these things that are really going to improve the way someone's brain functions on a biological level, then you can actually, people can actually see with follow-up brain maps they can actually see how their brain is changing and improving as the result of whatever intervention. So I think it really does empower people to be able to see that neuroplasticity in action and be able to then, you know, get them to continue doing whatever it is they're doing to, to get those improvements. Do you think that um, breathing exercise meditation is somewhat of a self-creation of brain mapping where you actually uh, put yourself in a trance and you allow your subconscious mind to rewire everything in your brain to be able to feel healthier mentally? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's kind of like the ancient technology um, that, you know, tools like neurofeedback or neurostimulation kind of get the brain into those altered brainwave patterns. I think there was another interruption here, uh, Toby, with, uh, I think the internet connection is yeah, not- Breath work. <laughs> oh, and meditation, <laughs> breath work. Yeah. 
Yeah, just how all of these different ancient technologies have altered people's brainwaves. Even before we knew what brainwaves were, we just knew that they were getting people into these altered states. So I think brain mapping now provides some evidence to actually validate what people have already known for thousands of years, how meditation and breath work, how they can really powerfully affect the nervous system. But now that we can actually quantify those changes by measuring how someone's brainwaves shift during a meditation or breathwork exercise and how we can actually learn a ton from like advanced meditators. They've actually done brain maps on a lot of advanced Tibetan monks to really see what's different about their brainwaves compared to a non-meditator. And they found really amazing things that really can teach us a lot about, you know, how consciousness operates and allows people to really, you know, harness uh, those ancient technologies, you know, if they're not going to, you know, spend 12 hours a day meditating in, in some caves, you know, in the Himalayas, they can still be able to utilize those, the knowledge of that applied neuroscience with some newer technologies. So I really think that those, those modalities are like the ancient technologies that have since now evolved into tools like neurofeedback, neurostimulation, but people have been altering their brainwaves, you know, for, for millennia. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think um, eventually in the future, if someone really um, masters the, the meditation, all that, and the breathing, do you think that it will be like someone uh, in the movie Limitless with uh, Bradley Cooper? Mm -hmm. Do you think they could really enhance their level of intelligence, their uh, uh, mental capacity, and so on and so forth? Or this is just Hollywood story that there's not really any way for us to be able to achieve this level? No, I mean, I think it's, what I think is a misnomer about that movie is that it's achieved through just taking a pill. Correct. I think that that feeds into the way people like to think about how our body works, that we just can take a magical pill and it's going to, you know, create this limitless mind like Bradley Cooper experience. I think the combination of a super healthy diet along with proper sleep, along with exercising, along with taking some specific brain supplements and nootropics, along with doing neurofeedback. I think really I'm such a big fan of stacking together different interventions. I think the more things you can stack together, the more you amplify the results of everything that you're doing. So I think how to actually achieve that sort of really optimal brain performance that we saw in Limitless is really, you know, people can, I think, achieve some version of that, their own version of limitless um, by really giving their brain everything it needs to function optimally on a biological level and also eliminating everything that robs your brain from performing at its highest level. Things like environmental toxins, mold, uh, you know, eating excess sugars, drinking alcohol, um, everything that causes inflammation within the body also really caused a lot of inflammation within the brain. So being able to eliminate the bad stuff and then give our body more of the good stuff, I think, you know, people can can reach these profound states of consciousness that they maybe never thought was possible. But the fact or the, the idea that someone's just going to be able to get there from taking a pill, you know, I think actually for some people, you know, and I can speak from experience, you know, taking Adderall, um, that it does give you instantly that you know, extreme motivation and drive and mental clarity, but there's a big price to pay, you know, when that pill wears off and 
four to six hours, yeah. your baseline is going to be way below it was when you first, yes. when you first took it. So, and we, you know, we actually, I, I remember now in Limitless, we saw with Bradley Cooper's character, how that was the case when he lost the medication and he lost the NZT 48. And he was like, he looked like this, you know, drug addict going through withdrawals. So I think even if people can temporarily achieve that sort of state with a, with taking a pill, I think the only way to get long-term uh, benefits and not have side effects is through, you know, implementing things that are neuroprotective rather than just things that enhance our brain in the short term, but damage our brain in the long term. But then, uh, then you said, you mentioned earlier that you have to put yourself, you have to make yourself like a, a monk from Tibet to be able <laughs> to isolate yourself out of this environment that we live in, to be able to breathe fresh air, to be able to eat properly, to be able to exercise, sleep, etc. In our society, uh, Toby, that's kind of hard to be able to accomplish. Now, yes, I mean, you, there's some people that could get closer to that level, but what you mentioned is close to impossible. Right. Or no, my point there was not trying to say that people have to like isolate. I'm what I was trying to say there is that through what we know about people that do that, um, who've used meditation in that way, we can then harness those same brainwave changes and utilize technology to help people get there quicker and more efficiently in the modern world. For instance, what we know about meditation is it takes people from you know, our normal kind of baseline brainwave pattern, which is beta, you know, beta waves are our normal alert, awake consciousness and meditation slows the brainwaves down into alpha, deeper into theta, and then even into the depths of delta with a lot of, you know, beginner meditators, they're really only able to get into alpha waves and people often get frustrated, you know, with a meditation practice. I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with who I've asked them, you know, how do you, do you meditate? And they say, yeah, you know, I've, I've tried it. You know, and I'm like, well, do you, have you stayed with it? You currently meditate. And they're like, you yeah, know, no, <laughs> you know, they, they don't stick to it. So I think that there's different technologies like neurofeedback, like audiovisual entrainment, binaural beat, uh, meditation yeah. tracks. Yeah. All of these different things that we can actually, based on what we know about meditation and how it changes our brainwave patterns, we can actually use technology to help get us to those same states without all of the effort and frustration that meditation often, you know, uh, provides people. Mm -hmm. But do you feel that because people are so accustomed to instant gratification as what the, the biopharma company does by taking one pill, either Adderall or whatever other uh, uh, stimulant, do you feel that because the meditation is more of a long-term, I would say activity or method that people don't have that patient to be able to see if this is going to render any positive results or not. Because the thing is, is that if we're so used to be able to get things immediately as what society is giving us, how can meditation be able to uh, make people believe that it will work for them? It's a great question. I think that's where I think it's somewhere in the middle where I think with certain things like, you know, binaural beat meditation tracks, you know, some people would argue that that's kind of cheating because it's taking your brain into those same patterns that people would have to have, you know, spend years of dedicated meditation practice to be able to achieve. But I think the reality is that when people do something for a period of time and they don't see results, they'll stop doing it. So when you take something like binaural beat meditation tracks, I think that people usually do 
feel pretty immediate effects in terms of it puts you into that very, very relaxed state pretty instantaneously. Um, but it is something that if you don't stick with it, if you're not, you know, doing it on a regular basis, you're probably not going to get the, you know, improvements that you otherwise could have. So I think it's, it's somewhere in the middle where it teaches people that they do need to do something. It, it is a practice just like meditation is. But what I like about technology, when you kind of technologically induce those brainwaves is that you can really feel more of an immediate shift and you can kind of feel that it's working without just having to rely or, or hope that after years of doing this, that you're going to achieve some improvement. But do you feel that when it comes to the mental illness field, um, either de those dealing with bipolar or borderline personality, anxiety, depression, and so on, or even dementia, um, do, do you feel that this, by doing the, the brain mapping, we could eventually um, predict what can happen to someone um, when it comes to uh, those illnesses? Or let's say if they the doctor diagnosed them with brain mapping and say, you know what, you have to start changing your habits because you may deal with Tourette syndrome or I know that Tourette is based on the like a more of a virus that you have, uh, acquire but any other illness in the future do you think that can actually help them definitely so yeah definitely you can see you know certain patterns where it's like the someone's brain you can see is struggling you know for instance someone who's starting to experience cognitive decline you know what we know as Alzheimer's really starts decades prior you know as mild cognitive impairment but a lot of people might not actually get that diagnosis or evaluated, you know, so with brain mapping, we can see where, you know, when the brain is really in trouble. Um, so if there's certain patterns that suggest that someone is likely to develop neurodegeneration later on, or if we see patterns associated with ADHD and maybe someone's, you know, maybe they're doing pretty well, but maybe, you know, they're still struggling with their business. And they could do that much better if they had a fully functional brain, you know, where they were able to actually treat some of what was going on. So I think in that regard, you know, we can get ahead of, you know, mental health issues before they get to, you know, an extreme level. Because I think it's, it's not just like you have something or you don't, right? You know, everything is a spectrum where, you know, you could have mild depression where, you know, every so, you know, every once in a while, you kind of feel blue. You could also have very severe depression where you can't get out of bed for, for weeks or months at a time. So being able to see certain issues when maybe they're still in the mild to moderate range, but they're starting to get worse and worse, then you can actually take action to reverse whatever's going on so that it doesn't get to that point where, you know, there's a really severe issue. So, um, when it comes to the the progress or the technology for brain mapping, do you think that further research is going to be in that uh, in that method versus them just again hiding it and not really paying attention because it's not really beneficial to the uh, to the medical industry? Or what what is your prediction when it comes to that? Obviously, it's going to be a bit biased to the fact that you're in it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, well, what would no, you? I think, I think there's definitely uh, further research that, you know, brain mapping uh, is a technology called QEEG or quantified EEG. And I think it's, you know, there, there's been a lot of research. There continues to be more research. I think what we're starting to see is also, you know, more 
research being done and, and really a lot of excitement around the field of uh, what's called ERPs or event-related potentials, which is also a measurement that's done via EEG, uh, measuring the electrical activity of the brain, but it's able to see how the brain responds to different audio, uh, auditory, and visual stimuli and can help you know give us a lot more information to pair with the brain map to really have a more thorough comprehensive understanding of what's going on. And then there's all of these different technologies. Uh, what really excites me is neurostimulation. So, you know, there's different variety of different forms of neurostimulation. Um, there's alternating current or TACS, transcranial alternating current stimulation, direct current stimulation, random noise, pink noise, all these things that most people probably have never heard of that, you know, there's maybe not a ton of research on at the moment, but I think from my experience as a clinician in the field, oftentimes people utilizing neurostimulation get more powerful results than utilizing neurofeedback. So as these, you know, as the, uh, these technologies become more and more research and we know exactly what protocols are going to be best for people dealing with which specific particular issues, I think, you know, we're going to see exponential improvements in, you know, the way we treat mental health and, uh, you know, brain, brain health issues. I think also the field of, of psychedelics, I think yes. is also in tandem with the field of brain mapping and neuromodulation, I think is also going to be able to really supercharge people's results instead of them having to spend years and years in therapy or on medications that have pretty bad side effects that may not be that effective. I think there's a beautiful synergy and, and merging between, you know, the field that I'm in and the field of psychedelics. So it'll be really cool that, you know, there's, there's a variety of different modalities and technologies that are at our disposal, you know? Um, so it'll be really cool to see what happens going forward. So for you specifically, Toby, what pushed you into that field? I mean, what did you did you experience something that was downgrading in your brain or whatever? What really pushed you to wanting to learn more about it and doing further research? For sure. So it, it definitely was a personal uh, personal interest as far as I used to struggle with really bad social anxiety and awkwardness back in in high school. Really, even before that, um, for a while, I just always felt like I was separate from everyone else, and I just felt like I was you know in my own little world in my own bubble. And I was always very curious about the brain. I started reading pop psychology and neuroscience books in high school, you know, and kind of wondering, you know, what, what it was that I always kind of felt like a bit neurodivergent and wondering, you know, what it was um, about my brain that was resulting in the way that I was experiencing the world. I think at some point it, it sort of, I made the connection that the struggles that I was experiencing socializing and the awkwardness and anxiety that I was feeling was the result of how my brain was functioning on a biological level, rather than that being a core part of who I was. And I think that applies to everyone dealing with depression or PTSD or, you know, there, the, I don't think anyone deep down is a depressed, you know, soul or, a, you know, an anxious soul. I think we experience all of these issues as the result of, you know, genetics, as the result of our environmental factors, right? It's a mixture of what we experience and our genes. But, um, 
you know, really, really that realization that what was going on, what I was experiencing and the issues that I was having was not a moral failing. It was not me not trying hard enough, but it was really a brain health issue. When I was able to see that with a brain map, that was how I initially saw that an area of my left frontal lobe um, called Broca's area, which is really important for verbal production, you know, and verbal fluency. I saw with the brain mapping technology that that area was really underactive. So when I saw that, it really helped me connect the dots and understand why I always, you know, would be searching for words and never able to like really find the right word that I was trying to use in a certain situation, which then caused me to feel really socially isolated because I was always, you know, I couldn't really communicate well with people. So just understanding that and making that connection then empowered me to be able to do something about it. And as I was experimenting with neurofeedback, neurostimulation, I was also working with people in the field of addiction and mental health issues and peak performance. So, you know, noticing both in myself, how it would benefit me, but then also seeing all of these people dealing with issues similar to, to what I was dealing with and also very different, you know, experiencing really amazing transformations in their own regard. So that's really what cemented my desire to really get into this and really do this as a career. Now for our listeners, before we end the, the podcast, what is, where can they find the reflex and uh, how to be able to get themselves the, some idea of what's going on in their own mind? Yeah. So I would say the best place to connect with me is on Instagram. If you search Neuroflex, N-E-U-R-O-F-L-E-X on Instagram, um, I'm pretty active on there. So feel free to shoot me a message. I'm super curious if any of the audience has any questions, comments. Um, if you want to get your brain mapped, shoot me a message. Um, we're able to now service anyone nationwide or even worldwide by um, utilizing a virtual program where we can just ship people the equipment. So I'm no longer confined to just working with people in person in South Florida. Although if you are in Miami or Fort Lauderdale and you do want to come into the clinic, definitely reach out. But for anyone, anywhere that you are, you know, we can uh, be able to ship you the equipment. So connect with me on Instagram at Neuroflex and we can go from there. Beautiful. Well, Toby, that is all the time that we have for today's podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time of your busy schedule to join us. And thank you again for participating and inspiring our many listeners with your incredible story. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode. And I'm also very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for season 18 of the Happiness Journey podcast filled with inspirational stories just like the one that you listened today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom. This episode highlights the significant influence of brain mapping in comprehending and tackling mental illness. It underscores the transformative potential of mapping the mind, describing it as a symbol of hope amid challenges. The accuracy of brain mapping is portrayed as a means to gain personalized insight, providing customized interventions and signaling a new era of precision medicine for mental health. Now, we view mental illness not as a conclusive endpoint, but as an ongoing tale of resilience and fortitude. It promotes collaborative endeavors to reveal paths towards healing and envisions a future where the mind's map leads to a collective victory in mental health. I sure hope it all made sense to all of you. My name is Dr. Dan Amzalag, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.